Hello, I'm Liv Bolton, and you're listening to The Outdoors Fix, a podcast to inspire people wanting to make adventures outdoors a bigger part of their life. Welcome to episode six of the third series. My guest today is Kenny Block. Kenny has a full-time job as a railway signaller in Cumbria, but in his spare time, he's also a landscape photographer. Kenny's often found in the Lake District, hiking to get to dramatic viewpoints and capture the stunning scenery with his camera or drone. His extraordinarily beautiful photographs have helped to amass a huge following on social media. But Kenny hasn't always been outdoorsy. And for a large portion of his teenage years and 20s, he says he was caught up with drugs. He credits hiking in the outdoors with helping him quit that lifestyle. I went for a rainy walk with Kenny on one spell, a fell above Ambleside in the Lake District. I wanted to find out how he got into landscape photography, how he's trying to turn it into a career, and what the outdoors has meant to his life. And in an age where we all take photos of landscapes with our phones when we're out and about, I also wanted to hear some tips about how to capture the perfect landscape shot. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and Kenny's stories. And if you can spare a couple of minutes to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast, it really helps. So here's Kenny. Kenny, hello. Hello, Liv. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Um, Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me on. Not at all. We are, and I'm really impressed that you're up for this, because we're sitting on the side of a fell and it is pretty much pissing it down with rain yeah, isn't it? yeah it certainly is yeah yeah <laughs> but you know you can't come to the lake district and always be sunny can you that, so. is, that is correct <laughs> um can you describe exactly where we're sitting yeah so we're just sat on the way up to Wandsfell, heading up to Wandsfell pike uh when we get up there we'll have views over windermere lake over ambleside obviously at the moment we're sheltered beneath some trees trying to get a, <laughs> a little bit of shelter from the rain but we can still see over to uh the Fairfield Horseshoe, see the snow on the mountains, and yeah, it's still still quite good views despite the weather, I guess. It is. It's beautiful, actually, that snow on the mountains there. It is, yeah. Yeah, it looks pretty chilly up there. We're a little bit warmer down here. We um, are. <laughs> in the rain. Anyway, so we might have to move during this conversation, who knows? Yeah. But, um, you know, builds up the excitement, doesn't it? it certainly does. <laughs> so, I am so keen to talk about your landscape photography and how you got into it. But firstly... Were you outdoorsy as a child and where did you grow up? Right, okay. So I was outdoorsy as a child. I grew up in uh, Egremont in West Cumbria. And a lot of my childhood, uh, the weekends, I would be going out with my dad, my auntie, uh, my sister. And we would do a lot of walking on the fells, Great Gable, we Red Pike, um, Fleetwith Pike. A lot of the ones mostly based in Western Cumbria, Southern Cumbria. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I was really passionate about doing that when I was younger and then once I reached the age of maybe like about 11, 12 sort of thing you don't really want to be knocking around with your dad or your sister anymore <laughs> so I went on to just doing other things what kids do but um, yeah yeah. As a, as a kid I genuinely enjoyed being out on the fells and in the more recent years I've reconnected with that again. When you were 11 and 12 then and you kind of stopped um, being into the outdoors um, what replaced that? Um, to begin with, I was a bit of a scared boy. I was quite into doing, uh, so I started doing roller hockey, and yeah. that developed onto more like uh, inline skating on the streets, doing your flips, grinding down handrails, st- stunt, stunt skating, so to speak. Somewhere in between doing that, obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but I did start uh, smoking weed, things like that. And uh, before long, it was kind of like I was doing skating and drugs, I guess, quite a lot of my teenage years. So it went from being a outdoorsy kind of guy with the family to more just uh, dossing around if you will I guess. How did you make that change then from if it was a sort of you were taking drugs in your you know in your teenage years and yeah. you had this period of really not being with the outdoors how did you come to landscape photography what was that right. kind of path? Um, so what happened was I was basically doing uh, drugs probably for about 10 years I would say well over 10 years and I kind of reached that point when I was just, felt like I was essentially wasting my life. I felt like I should be doing more with my life. Towards the end of my drug taking, I was doing quite a lot of fitness as well. It was really contradictory. So the weekend I would be kind of getting off my 
face, for want of a better expression, doing mm -hmm. a lot of drugs. And then through the week, I'll be doing like quite a lot of intense training, walking up hills, doing like hill sprints and things like that. And towards the end of it, I kind of had like one group of friends, if you will, who were more into the party and the drugs and things like that. And my friend who I would go out training with, and I'm kind of looking at these two very different people, very different groups of people. And it was kind of crunch time. It's like, well, which person do you want to be? Do you want to continue doing drugs and not being happy with yourself? Or would you rather more of the fitness and more of the outdoors? So I kind of just made a conscious effort to just completely knock it on the head, which thankfully I was able to do it. I don't know whether I reached a breaking point or what, because I've been wanting to quit it for, quit drugs for probably about seven or eight years, really. Yeah. I mean, to, to be perfectly honest, to begin with, and it's a, it sounds a horrible thing to say, but to begin with, I did enjoy the, the buzz of doing drugs. Mm. And then after a few years, I didn't like, um, it wasn't good for my mental health. I didn't like the person. I, I didn't really like the way it made me feel, to be honest, but I couldn't break the cycle. So it was very much like the, the fitness was a catalyst for kind of, uh, kind of like stopping that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just kind of like knocked it completely on the head focused on my fitness and the outdoors kind of tied in with that and it was almost like a cleansing thing that period is like well I need something to replace what I was doing I started more than just running on the roads I was looking at this beautiful scenery around me mm. and it just made me think about how happy I was when I was younger when I was going outside uh, with my family how good that made me feel so what I started doing to begin with was going on walks that I was familiar with from a child. Mm -hmm. So I hadn't done these walks for maybe like 20 years and I would do a quick search on Google, have a look and I'm like, yeah, that's a general idea where I need to be. And uh, obviously I'd come off the path a few times, <laughs> things mm -hmm. like that. But I had a general, uh, general idea where to go. So I started to begin with doing walks I was very familiar with and that was more for, more for the, it wasn't just for the exercise, but I kind of, that was a, a big a big part of it really mm. was was the intense exercise of beasting yourself so to speak going up a mountain as quickly as i could and then you have the benefits so rather than running on a road or being on a treadmill you have the bonus of your, your knackered you're out of breath but then wow look at these amazing views and i just became really addicted with it from that what was happening was i was going out and i was spending hours out in the mountains looking at these unbelievable scenes and i'd take a photo on my phone now, phone cameras are a lot better now than what they were. Mm. Um, but yeah, I take a photo on my phone and I just look and think that doesn't look how it should. So that kind of was what made me want to get a camera because I really wanted to capture what I was seeing. So I would be out seeing these amazing sunsets and, you know, these amazing colours, very much like today, like we're looking at the reds and the oranges and spectacular. So I go back and I'd like, show my family or friends and he'd be like yeah that's okay and it didn't <laughs> it didn't have the striking effect that I would have wanted and that's totally understandable because it didn't look like that so so that was what spurred me on to get a camera so I really did want to do photography but around the time when I was really wanting to buy my camera um, I was actually in between jobs so I was uh, I'm a rigger by trade or was and had a really bad uh, wrist injury when I was younger scared of boy injury mm. and I broke my wrist very badly and um, as I was getting older doing a lot more exercise a lot more weights and things like that and I was putting a lot more strain on the wrist and uh, as a result the injury came back to haunt me and um, obviously waiting list for operations can be quite long so I was, uh, I was out of work for a long time and I wasn't being paid any sick pay because I was a contractor so I was still going out in the mountains but obviously I couldn't afford the camera equipment mm. so yeah so it's probably waited a little bit longer than what I would have wanted maybe just by a year or something like that but before I got into work again I promised myself that once I had a you know a, a regular decent livable income again I would uh, purchase my first camera when I was out of the job and I realized that I might not be able to go back to the job that I was doing I started looking at other, other lines and other career paths and that's what brought me on to the train signalling, which is what I do now with Railway Signaller. So a full-time Railway Signaller, which I somehow try and tie in around my photography, mm -hmm. or rather I tie my photography around my job. And um, yeah, so I was looking for that job and uh, very intense training down in York for a few months. So it wasn't really the time to buy your camera then, because I'd be in York from Monday to Friday, come back home, do your revision, and then you'd have your tests through the week and things like that. So once those three months were up and as soon as I got my first decent income, that's exactly what I did. I 
for my first camera, Fantastic. which uh, which was great. Yeah. yeah. And what was it? Tell me. It was a Canon 70D, and I got a Sigma 17 to 70 mil lens, and for a first setup, it was absolutely amazing. I really couldn't have asked for better. Um, for what I could afford, uh, that, that, there's, there's a cliche saying that uh, a better camera doesn't make a better photographer, which it's kind of true. I mean, there is a reason why some cameras cost significantly more than others. However, to begin with, in what I was doing, that was pretty much an ideal camera, and um, I think with having the 17 to 70 mil lens, it gave me a lot of uh, different focal length, focal lengths, so I was able to have like a, a bigger quite a wide variety of photographs I could take. It was, it was a very good camera for taking maybe portrait shots, say like distance from me to you, but also like zooming in. So say we're looking down these lovely buildings over mm. there, I believe one of them might be a pub, I'm not sure. Okay, and, uh, good to <laughs> but, know, um, Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, but it was also good for zooming in and isolating different parts of the landscape. Okay. Um, so yeah, it was a really good, good setup for taking either a a photograph incorporating the whole vista, the wide landscape, or yeah. if you wanted to pinpoint into a particular point. Now, what I want to ask though is that obviously you'd been out with your phone before getting this camera and taking lots of shots and really getting into landscape photography. It's quite a jump then to buy a very expensive camera, and so you must have been learning about what makes a good photograph and you know tips about what lens you might need who are you learning yes. from or what were you learning um, from so before i got into it my um an old i wouldn't say a childhood friend but a friend from my adolescent years i've been keeping up with his photography for a few years and we still spoke to each other through the realms of social media but we hadn't spoke to each other face to face for years and uh, when i thought about getting a camera he was the first person that i um, asked questions about um, because it is very much a minefield to begin with. You learned from your friend then some tips and um, tricks of, of landscape photography. So how much then with your new camera and with your new toy did it make you go out far more than you were going before? I found that what it did make me do a lot more was get up at stupid hours of the day and maybe <laughs> stay out a bit later. So uh, I think when you're not going out with the intention of taking a photograph uh, you maybe go out you like a lion, <laughs> you like a lion. Whereas yeah. when, when you're going out to take, um, with the intention of taking a photograph, obviously the uh, the, gold, the golden hour is the thing that people talk about, the light is great. Generally speaking, an hour after sunrise or an hour before sunset. And that's when you get these lovely golden colours and shadows and everything just has this fantastic glow to it. And that is when a lot of really, a lot of the, landscape photos that you see that's when they're taken so what I found I was doing a lot more was going out at a ridiculously early hour mm. um, whereas normally I'd have maybe stayed in bed and um, I would also take a lot more chances as well um, with the weather I think with photography the thing with it is it's um, again another cliche I'm going to put out there but it very, very much is the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> so if I'm if I'm out on the fell walk and I, I was when I started getting into walking again, I was going out, I was taking a photo on my iPhone and you go back, you do your little edit on Instagram or whatever. It's kind of over the um, the memory, so to speak. The memory's not over, but your documentation from that walk, there's, um, there's not a lot you can do with it, mm. really. Obviously, there is now phones are getting better, technology is better. But to begin with, when I was going out and I was just taking a photo with my phone, doing a very quick edit on Instagram. It was kind of over in a jiffy. Yeah. But I feel that what was happening when I started taking proper photographs was I'll be going out, absolutely loving the walk. And when you, you don't know how good a photograph's going to be until you get back home. So you, you have, you obviously have a very good idea. I mean, if it's a clouding version, amazing yeah. light, you're in just the right place, you're pretty much going to have a good photograph. Yeah. But it can be, um, you don't know, sometimes you can surprise yourself and sometimes you'll come back and you're like oh that's actually really good i wasn't expecting that or sometimes something that wasn't you thought was going to be amazing turns out not so good but what i was finding was when i was coming back after my walks you could continue reliving the experience and exactly what i was saying earlier about with having a good camera set up and you could really pick out details in the landscape mm. that would really be lost on a camera phone photo but when you go back to your edit, editing software mm. with a proper photograph taken on a proper camera, 
you could really like zoom in and pinpoint on these details mm. and it's kind of amazing because you just like look at these like almost like build up I know it sounds cheesy but kind of like building up little stories in your head so say for example these uh, cows over there yes uh, things like that and the sheep over there and you'd like zoom in and like oh there's a farm next to it and you start like building up these little <laughs> these little stories about the you know almost the human geography I don't know like everything that's going on around yeah. you which you're unable to do on a phone photograph a kind of phone photograph as you look at it that is as good as the resolution we'll probably get and yeah. when you zoom in you will lose that so when I was going back and you you notice little things you maybe missed with the human eye and the, the process of editing I found was just really enjoyable and you do that on things like Photoshop do you? yeah so yeah. what I the way that I normally do I'll do uh, predominantly I do most of my editing in Lightroom and then I will move to Photoshop for maybe more uh, specific details for a specific part of an image. So maybe um, it, 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 it's, it's very subjective, obviously, editing. And I think that I, for myself, I try and generally edit naturally the colours and everything kind of as I saw them. But with photography, when you're editing, it's really, it's, it's quite strange because you can look at, an amazing scene with the human sorry an amazing scene with the human eye but um, when you take it back and you look at it viewed on a screen or mm. something like that um, maybe the parts that were very striking to you in person they might need toned down it might be a distracting element of a photograph so in Photoshop I'll maybe kind of like pick a focal point whatever that may be mm. and kind of like draw the eye in towards that so if I had say maybe one of the one of the snowy mountain peaks over there but I wanted the landscape around it in as well there might be like a really bright patch of land something a, a, an odd look an odd coloured field okay and that would detract from what the photo is about it would it would take the eye subconsciously your eye starts looking at that kind of like little blemish if you will on the photograph so what what I do in my editing is really try and draw the eye into what what i'm focusing on the photograph mm. so if i do need to maybe like um, add a bit of um, shadows around the edges and maybe lighten the center mm. so it kind of really draws the eye into what it's looking about and uh yeah you, you can go as as wacky or as subtle as you want with editing so a lot of your more traditional landscape photographers they want everything to look pretty much exactly as they see it and that is how they want a photograph to look uh, but then obviously particularly with the things like social media I think there's like a massive uh, non-movement but pe pe mm. people are very can be very artistic with them they can completely change how the scene looks and that divides people quite mm. a lot actually so some people enjoy that some people don't I kind of just think as long as you're out enjoying yourself taking the photos and editing you just do whatever you do really I mean you don't if everybody took the exact same photographs and everybody wanted everything to look exactly as it was like this then everything would be the same and mm. you wouldn't have that room for creativity or anything like that. As you were getting out more with the camera um, how were you fitting that around your day job as a railway signaller? Right so it can be quite difficult because obviously I um, work a lot of hours, work shifts um, but also it can also work quite well so as a railway signaller with working either a morning shift or an afternoon shift it means that I can generally always catch either a sunrise or a sunset oh yes perfect yeah which is great so if I was working say Monday to Friday nine to five particularly this time of year when it's getting darker very very soon I probably wouldn't be really be able to go out and take my landscape photo certainly not uh, not not the uh, daytime photography anyway so it can be can be a, a blessing and uh, I also get days off in the week so I do work quite a lot of weekends but I do get days off in the week right. and that can be very good for going to popular places when they're quieter because popular places are popular for a reason you know people you know that there is a reason why people flock to certain places and so it can be nice to go into them areas when they're quieter so what if I'm on the morning shift I'll uh, finish work go home catch a catch a quick running up <laughs> and then <laughs> and then I can thankfully um, go out for sunset Wonderful. but um, as as we are moving more into winter 
I might have to knock the afternoon naps on the head <laughs> and go right from work to the mountains. But it's, um, yeah, it, it is very good that I can do that. And um, shift work obviously can be tiring at times and it sometimes is very irregular. So I'm in a three-week uh, pattern, which just anybody looking at it would be like, wow, that's a bit of a, an unusual shift pattern. But it can work really well and I would prefer it than working Monday to Friday. Mm. Because, yeah, because that would mean my time off would mostly be the weekends and everybody's out of the weekends. Exactly. So it's nice to go out when things are a bit quieter and uh, also be able to, yeah, go up and fit some naps in around it as well. Yeah. That, that, that's how I catch up with my naps. So what were your favourite spots then as you were getting out more? What were your favourite spots in the right. Lake District? So my favourite places in the lakes as a general rule of thumb would be the southern and western fells okay and the reason why they're my most they're my favorite areas is because the area is really rocky really jagged and it's a lot more extreme very mountainous so to speak so where we are now it's obviously absolutely beautiful but the uh the rolling hills don't quite excite me as much as the very the tall mountains and the, the crags and the cliffs and everything like that. Yeah, because we're more so in the central lakes here, aren't we? We yeah, so we're, we're just yeah, so we're outside of Ambleside and the the Fairfield Horseshoe over there, which obviously is a tall mountain range, but the peaks are quite undulating and the valley, which we can't really see from here. So if we look to this, just beyond the fields with the dry yes. stone walls, and there's the darker peak. Yep. Uh, that ridge connects with the one behind it, mm -hmm. so it, it forms a horseshoe shape. But in the valley, it's just a very like flat. It's beautiful, but it's quite. It's a flat valley. Mm. But I kind of like the. Uh, yeah, I, I just like the extreme aspects mm. of the lake district. The, the areas that look like they've been beaten to pieces by the ice age. You know, <laughs> you've, you've got like screes thrown around everywhere and rocks jagged up. And so, Wasdale in particular, I think is a perfect example of that so you've got the uh, everybody knows that Scarfell Pike is the highest mountain you've got Wasdale which is the deepest lake and when you're on the um, side of the, the lake opposite the screes and you're looking towards it it almost looks like a vertical cliff just going right down to the water yeah. and you can completely see how that is the deepest lake in the lake district because it just looks like it goes straight down and it's uh, yeah I just really like the more rocky areas of the Lake District. Looking at your photos on social media, a lot of your photos have quite a moody, atmospheric look. And I suppose that fits in, like you say, with the more dramatic landscapes of the South and, and Western Fells. Yeah, I, I, I believe it does because nine, nine times out of ten, likes of uh, Scarfell Pike and Great Gable are quite often covered in cloud. So I think it's, uh, it's very representative of the conditions that you would mostly face when you go into these areas. And I do like to catch um, kind of an almost an adventurous aspect of it because it can be very challenging getting to some of these places. And I think um, a lot of the times with photographs, now I look at like a lot of like vlogs and people will be there saying, oh, this is amazing and I'm, I'm loving being here. And sometimes I'm thinking, bloody hell, this is horrendous. I'm getting <laughs> beaten by the elements, but you just kind of ride it out. It's thrilling in a it, different way. It's, it's completely thrilling in a different way but I I like the challenge of getting there almost as much as taking the photograph okay. well probably probably just as much it's, it's how I got into it to begin with and so I think that um, if I was taking photos just in the nicest of conditions all the time I don't think it's a fair representation of the kind of uh, conditions that I face mostly when I go out on walks I mean even on the nicest of days it's the weather can close in in an instant and it might just be for half an hour or something like that but very often if you're walking up in the mountain you will get pounded pounded with the wet weather and uh, in particular Scarfell Pike they the Scarfells I mean god they just always seem to be in the clouds sometimes going out in those conditions can really really pay off so a good example of doing that would be one day when I was looking up at the Scarfells which as I mentioned nine times out of ten they are in the cloud whatever's yeah. going on anywhere else in the lake district they will be in the clouds um i didn't think i was going to get any photographs but i took my camera bag with me just in case i was literally just going up for the exercise and um yeah just going up and it's like complete cloud everywhere and once i got to the summit and i looked back because i wasn't looking back because i just felt like i was walking through the cloud and there was nothing to see 
and um, I'd actually got above the clouds, so it was an inversion. It was absolutely wow. amazing, just right through Estdale, right through Wasdale. I could see over to Enderdale Valley. That was seen to be covered in cloud as well. So it was, um, yeah. What once I once I got up on there, once I got up through the cloud, it was just the most unbelievable scene going. However, if I was a um, fair weather walker, so to speak, and I only went out when the weather was good. I wouldn't have got that and yes. I wouldn't have got that and it's um, for people who've been above a cloudy immersion they will know how much of a crazy experience it will be but with that it was even more special because it was just it was in so, such close proximity to me and it was literally when I turned back and look I was just meters above the cloud and I could wow. almost touch it and um, it was just a really good example of why you should always have your camera with you you know With um, your photography, what kit are you using now? I mean, you right. used to have a Canon okay. 70D. Yeah, what have you got now? What okay, do you want me to go through my bag and I'll talk through everything here? Or? Absolutely, go right, for okay, it. Okay then, right, so. you got to make it accessible to the layperson, including me. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, so I won't go too much into detail. I'll yeah. just give a general run through. So what I've got on there is my Sony A7 III. And that has got a 35mm prime lens on. Uh, to begin with, my first camera had a uh, had a zoom lens, so I was able to change the, the focal points, the focal range on it. Okay. Um, but with the prime lenses, the photographs are generally a little bit sharper. And the more into photography the get you get, the more particular you are, mm -hmm. and the more you want the sharper image. So what I've got now is a bit of a selection. So I've got this. 70 to 200 mil lens which is oh, wow, big quite, quite, yeah. quite, quite big, quite heavy and that is more really for picking out details, picking out maybe like that mountain top over there okay, and maybe that uh, little building over there. Um, hasn't been getting as much use as I thought it would but that's just the way I, I tend to go through periods. Uh, when I first got it I was using that a lot but it's always in my bag so yeah the 70 to 200 is more for the long distance stuff. Okay. I've got this 25mm lens, which is for capturing a whole landscape. It's really good for capturing a whole vista. That one in particular was really good for the astrophotography. The 35mm that I've got on the camera now is very, very versatile. So I bought that initially as more of a portrait lens. Um, it's a fantastic portrait camera. And the reason for that is it, um, the bokeh, as it's called, which is the blur to the background of a photograph. Right. So you'll know when you maybe see a photograph and um, the subject is really really sharp but the background is really blurred yes. out you know the kind yes, of look I'm talking do, about yep. so that has a really good background blur and what it does okay. it um, it just every lens in there will blur out the background and will isolate the subject to some extent however with that one the background blur it's it's just really uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It's not forgiving. It just looks great. Okay. And it, yeah. <laughs> it has a really nice effect and it really isolates the subject. So when you're taking photos of maybe like a uh, maybe like a walker, maybe somebody uh, in close proximity, and you want the focus to be on that person, maybe the face, maybe it's an object like a boot, and you don't want. So say if I was taking photos of um, say our boot here, mm. I would have it set on a really shallow depth of field with that lens, and that would really Blur out the background and focus on your boots, which is good for doing things like product shots, I guess. Okay. Or maybe like action shots. Maybe you want to show somebody climbing and holding onto a certain grip or something like that. And um, I do have my little blower, so as you change your lens, you can get bits of dust in your in your camera, the lens themselves, and that is really good for just so giving that, that, yeah. that give that a quick clean out. Yeah. Um, it's all very neat and tidy, isn't it? It, it is indeed. I've, I've, Kenny's got it in a very sort of small backpack and it looks really easy to carry. I mean, I'm impressed by that because <laughs> these lenses are often quite heavy and um, you'd think that they would you know, not fit in a bag like that, but it's neat. Yeah, so everything is uh, just about fitting snug. I don't think I could fit anything else in there, as you can see. Do you have a tripod? I do, and I have not brought it with me today. Okay, but usually you have it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I normally do. So a lot of people, uh, well, it, it's, it's a very it's a very divisive kind of thing about do you use a tripod, do you not? 
So I sometimes do, I sometimes don't. Now to begin with, I was using one all the time on every single one of my photographs. And then I kind of realized a lot of the time you, it, um, you can get away without using one. And sometimes it can kind of help you with your photography a bit more because you can be a bit more fluid with moving about. And, um, and I think as well in time, my style of photography has changed a little bit. So if you want, say, front to back, everything really pin sharp yeah, in, on, focus. On, in focus on the photograph, a tripod can be a really good way to do that because what you can do is you can find your composition, you can set the tripod up, and uh, with the likes of Photoshop software like that, you can essentially focus. So it's called uh, let me, <laughs> it's called focus stacking. And what you do is you focus on something really close, for example, and then maybe focus on something in the mid ground, and then be f maybe focus on something in the distance. Right. And with the technology of Photoshop, you can then blend that photograph together, and as a result, you will get everything razor sharp in that image. But uh, more and more what I'm realising as I'm out taking photos, I sometimes, I'm not sure if I want everything in the image to be sharp front to back. I'm quite often looking at maybe a specific part that I want the eye drawn into. Yeah, okay. Also, you have a drone. I do indeed have a drone, yes. And you do a lot of yes. your photography via drone now, which is really yes. interesting because what I've seen from your photographs is that you obviously get an insane perspective from a drone, don't you? Something that's very different from whatever you usually see. That's right, yeah. So for the first year of doing photography, I never had a drone. And um, I don't know why, but I just wasn't really... I didn't have an inclination to get one, which sounds crazy because I've always liked drone photography. But I just um, I didn't really have an inclination to buy one. And then as soon as I got one and I started using it and I started realising all these new perspectives that were available to me, I was instantly addicted. And um, what I'm finding now is quite a lot of my favourite photographs have actually been taken with the drone. Interesting. And um, it, it's strange as well. So say, <laughs> say we go to like uh, social media and things like that and I look and I'm like, oh great, I've had six photographs in the row and they've all been taken with the drone. Which is, uh, I can remember when I first got it and it was like two weeks solid of just drone photographs. And I was like, it's a blessing and a curse because I'm absolutely loving it. But is it making me spend less time with my camera? But um, no, I think the thing that's really, really good, really fascinating about drones is all these new perspectives are open that have never been open to you before. Yeah. So um, you can get high on mountains, you can have telescopic lenses and look, you know, it can cover pretty much every part of the landscape but one thing you can't do is be out in the sky looking back to a mountain yeah. and uh, a lot of those images are ones that I like and it's just so crazy to look at the landscape from a from a different angle you've never seen before and also with the drones what I'm amazed at is that it's such good quality what camera is on that drone yes yeah, so the drone has got a Hasselblad camera and the quality is it's absolutely fantastic and I think what you can miss quite a lot on social media is um, how how much detail these for these drones can actually capture yeah it's amazing and you've got it in your hand now and it's only about the size of um walkie-talkie a bit bigger than a walkie-talkie yeah, is, is that what we're going to compare it to a radio so. yeah 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 so it's it's a very portable uh, very portable bit of kit now you um your photography you have been to the Faroe islands and also iceland and a few other places around around the world with your photography and you've got yes. some fabulous shots and so what do you think from a personal point of view what makes a fantastic landscape photography shot it's something that really shows off the almost brute force of nature something like uh, as i touched on earlier with the with the rocky mountains of the southern and western lake district um, and as you'll probably notice by looking at a lot of the photographs that are taking places, like the Faroe Islands, mm. I really like the dramatic, say, like cliffs and just rocky, jagged landscape that has really been torn to pieces. Mm. Um, and you just, something that makes you look and makes you think what forces were at play to make that landscape look like that. Okay. So, as beautiful as these rolling hills are, I like to look at something that's maybe the result of a volcanic eruption so the black coolings on the Isle of Skye is just it's unbelievable it just looks so unforgiving such an unforgiving looking place and the mountains there's no grass it is just black rock 
and that is a result of like volcanic eruptions and everything's just kind of exploded and upturned and um, yeah I just so, something that looks like it essentially has been torn apart by nature but in the most beautiful way possible if that makes sense yeah absolutely um, you've gained quite a huge following on social media for your landscape photographs and I can see why because they are incredibly striking thank um, you very much so it obviously is something that you do alongside your full-time job as a railway signaller. Is it something that you are earning, currently earning money from, or is it something that you would like to make into a full-time career? Yes, so uh, the full-time dream certainly would be to uh, make photography a full-time career. And um, at the moment, that's kind of what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm trying to make happen. I'm very aware that it will take a long time because when I'm working full-time, as you know, anyway, as a railway signaller, juggling the two, essentially trying to set up a business and set yourself up while working full-time is a very difficult thing to do because I want my work to be good. I want it to be, you know, my images to be the best quality that I can produce. And as a result of that, it takes quite a long time to get the photographs out in the mountains, uh, edit the photos to the standard that I like. And not only that, it's, uh, it's building up the connections and things like that as well. So I'm, uh, I certainly would like to make it a full-time endeavour, my career path. I definitely would like to do that. But I'm also very realistic and very aware that it will not happen overnight. It will take a lot of work. And essentially, at the end of the day, I, I might fail. You know, it might, it might not work out. But um, so at the moment, I'm kind of at that annoying in between period if you will where you're trying to balance the two so working full time and then almost any spare time I get I'm either out and about taking photos I'm editing photos or I'm speaking to brands and trying to trying to get jobs really but uh, where we're at now you mentioned about Instagram as well again with I'm, with with, that, with being in that in, in between period with not having such an extensive portfolio somebody's maybe been doing it for six or seven years what a lot of brands will do they will try and basically get photographs in exchange for gear which is very nice and to begin with you're like oh yeah i'm getting this you know this free clothing and stuff like that for what i'm doing anyway but the only thing with that is i can't go into tesco with a jacket and pay for my shopping with it <laughs> <Yes>. so <laughs> so yeah it's um at the moment i'm certainly not making any money that i can afford to quit my job for yeah um what i would like to do really would be once i'm making a once i can see there's a decent bit of income coming in from photography yeah. i would probably rather than just quit my job altogether i would probably drop down to maybe a couple of days a week of work to a job share which is quite yes. a common thing in my in my industry people do that yeah and kind of just gauge it and see how it's going to go because i think uh making the plunge altogether it's it's um Quite a big step. It's a very, very big step. And although you have all the, not all the time in the world, but although you have a lot of spare time to uh, build up your clients and speak to everybody, you then don't have the income to get you to the places. You know, petrol's expensive, food's bloody expensive, life is expensive. So I think uh, for the foreseeable future, what I'm going to do is just uh, continue trying to work as hard as I can and build up my photography around my full-time job. And when it looks like it might be a, a viable option to move down to a part-time work then I will do that and uh, yeah hopefully hopefully it'll happen if it doesn't I'm still gonna absolutely love doing what I'm doing getting out in the mountains taking photos and uh, like you mentioned about Instagram um, if anybody's in, inspired by that which it's kind of like blows my mind when people speak to me and like they will message me and say you know I really like your photographs and can I come out with you sometime and things like that and I think that in itself it is just like a really humbling thing to, to hear almost it's really nice to know that uh, you're inspiring people to do the same thing because it is a productive hobby you're not going to the pub and drinking and going to the bookies or whatever you're going out you're doing something productive and uh yeah so that side of it in itself is very rewarding and i just love being outdoors anyway just quite briefly what has the outdoors brought to your life um i can't say everything because that is the most cliche thing it's brought everything but um, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it basically, it is my life outside of work, certainly, or it is the biggest aspect of my life outside of work. So the photography and the outdoors just tie in perfectly with each other. And um, it's just, if I, 
what I've realised is, so when I was when I was uh, in the probably teenage years to, to early adulthood, I was kind of like thinking I would like to live in a city or something like that. And now I kind of, uh, no offence to you, but I can't think of anything worse really. <laughs> I, lo I love visiting cities, I love places like that. But the, um, I just love having the outdoors accessible to myself and living in, living in the latest shit, having spent a lot of time in the Scottish Highlands and Faroe Islands, as you mentioned, and places like that, I kind of have realised that I would find it very difficult to live somewhere where these places aren't accessible because it is just... It's just stunning. It's just amazing to get out there. But yeah, yeah, I just I love I don't know. I love everything about it, apart from when it's pissing down like this. And I'm thinking, let's get back to the car, get the heating on. I know. Well, I think that uh, is a good chance for us probably to move from this very rainy yeah. spot. <laughs> yes, I believe so. Kenny, it sounds a little bit different in here because we have had to come to the car and shelter from the rain. I, You did so well out there, but we just had to admit defeat, didn't we? We certainly did, yeah. We, we were against the elements there. It was um, incredibly wet when we've just finished that first section of the podcast. So we are now in the car, um, but we walked back down the fell and, uh, yeah, it slightly got a bit warmer and a bit drier. Yes. So we're going to do the rest of it from here, um, but good effort before with Thank the elements. Thank you very much, and good effort for you with all your equipment. <laughs> um, so what I would love to go on to now is um, three people who have inspired your outdoors adventures. Who might they be? Right, um, so I suppose the person who, I suppose my dad actually, going way back, cause, uh, uh, purely because he was the one who got me into fell walking, um, as I mentioned earlier, all my early walking days was with my dad. And um, if it wasn't for him, I maybe wouldn't have the desire to go out. Or um, I'm sure I would have found it eventually. But um, as we mentioned earlier on when I was talking about, as I came away from one certain lifestyle and I wanted to cleanse myself and get into more into fitness and things like that, it was nice that I could fall back on the fellow walks because I was already familiar with it we're doing yeah. it with my dad so i guess he's been a, a big influence in initially getting me going out and enjoying the countryside which is a shame because he can't enjoy it himself anymore because of uh, medical reasons but it's nice to kind of like for him to look at my photos of the places we used to go to so yeah my dad oh and uh, who would be the second person second person would probably be my friend bob i guess and he uh was a huge help and he still is a huge help when I first started taking photography and I did not have a clue he's always been very he's a very technical photographer and he knows a lot now I'm I will admit that I'm very uh almost an instinctive photographer so I kind of like very much work by instinct Bobby's very technical and he understands very much the technical aspects of photography and so if I've ever had any questions he's always been a really big help for pointing me in the right direction about why I may be using my camera wrong and not only that I, th I think his editing is really nice and tasteful and to begin with it was a big help having him on board because um, as I mentioned earlier people have very different creative styles in photography but I think before developing that it's very important to kind of master the basics and almost how things do look in real life mm -hmm. and then in time kind of start adding your own influence your own uh, your own style but bob's a very very talented natural landscape photographer and his photos are very very realistic very realistic yeah so he's a very uh his editing style is very natural and very realistic and to begin with i found that a really big help Whereas if I maybe had somebody who just went for crazy wacky colours and things like that, that might have looked good, but it's kind of uh, limiting your skill set. So I think it's re it was a really good base and he still is a very good person to to talk to for advice. Love these photos. I like the way he edit edited and I still do. And uh, yeah, it was just a very big help and he still is. And how about your third person? Um, the third person was probably my friend Patrick, who I did a lot of my training with many years many years ago now this is your this is your fitness training yeah so that's my fitness training so 
when we were going out it wasn't necessarily up in the mountains as such we were doing like a lot of road running um, a lot of like kettlebells and like boxing workouts things like that and um, that guy is crazy he absolutely beast it and uh, <laughs> and as a result it just made me uh, try much harder than if I was on my own and as a result of doing that with him when I went to transferring that back to the back to the mountains again it just um, it gave me a really solid base and it gave me a good uh, yeah just gave me a good level of fitness and he's a big big inspiration like that that, that guy just does not quit <laughs> like when I'd be like they're like completely out of breath thinking why the hell am I doing this but they're the bits where you know you're making a difference to your body and you make you know you're you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone so to speak so he was a big inspiration to uh yeah to just push me out of my comfort zone and reach that level of level of fitness Kenny, what tips do you have for budding landscape photographers and people who really want to up their game, perhaps, from just taking photos on their phones? Right, so um, firstly, you can get some really good photos with phones, especially nowadays. Technology on phones is amazing. And I started as an iPhone photographer, so to speak. So I was out doing a lot of uh, fell running, a lot of walking, taking photos with a camera phone. And the came on a long way since then so i think that to begin with um certainly just experiment with your phone maybe rather than jump right into photography um a good bit of advice i would give for that if you are i wouldn't say only go out when the weather's good but if you if you have some good light you can get some fantastic photos with the phone particularly if you're only sharing to the realms of social media so to begin with i don't think you're going to be printing photos billboard size or anything like that or even to go in a magazine i think the best thing to do is just get out there enjoy what you're doing i think is a big aspect of it and i think it's the thing that's really made it a lot easier for me is actually i enjoyed the outdoors before the photography so i think it's kind of like if you don't like the outdoors do you really want to be taking photographs at the top of a mountain well no you maybe want to go a different route so I would say begin with a phone. It's very good to get ideas for compositions and things like that. And it, it's also very, uh, well, you don't need to master it as such. You could kind of just like tap the phone, but you will get an idea about um, how to put an image together, how it looks. Um, you're just obviously very limited with your settings and in low light, you, you, will, uh, you will notice a big difference, a negative difference. So I would say um, phones are a great place to start. And your first camera, get a crop frame sensor camera um, so I'm so full frame cameras are they're the top end ones they're better but do you really want to be going in and parting with a stupid amount of money for some for a hobby that you may not like you know you mm -hmm. might you might not like it and it'll cost you a hell of a lot of money <laughs> but um, yeah I would say just get a crop frame sensor camera to begin with and the lens that has a good range of a focal lens a good range of zoom so I mentioned I had a 17 to 70 mil millimeter lens and that just pretty much covered everything i needed for almost for sure photography so it was good for close-ups and it was good for wide landscapes so to begin with don't worry about the highest model or anything like that just get a nice any any of the top brands they are a top brand for a reason they're reliable a lot of it will be down to personal preference so i would just say read your reviews get a cropped sensor frame camera a lens with a bit of zoom on so you can see what focal lengths you like playing with mm -hmm. in time you might want prime lengths which is the fixed focal length but uh yeah to begin with just just a nice a reputable brand do your research and have a zoom have a zoom lens so uh, what other tips do you have i think certainly in the early days well even throughout your photography career it's really good to have a like a mentor somebody to look up to somebody with more experience and it also helps if you're friends with the person because it allows them to be brutally honest and essentially that's that's really much, helpful isn't it it, it yeah. is very helpful as much as you may not want to hear it when you've spent ages taking and editing a photograph it will teach you to be a better photographer and it will teach you to be more critical of your own work and i just think it's uh yeah i think having a mentor someone who can be honest with you is a really big help 
Kenny, it's been really lovely to chat to you and thank you for putting up with this terrible weather we've had. It was pretty unfortunate, but it was so interesting hearing your story and how you really did make a massive change in your life. Um, and now you found this incredible passion and it's getting you outdoors and you're, you've got such a huge following on social media. So that's a real testament to the work that you're doing. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that you asked me, Liv. Oh, it was brilliant. Um, and um, and yeah, I think maybe we'll go and get a cup of coffee and warm up now. I, yeah? I think that sounds good to me, yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Kenny's episode. You can see lots of Kenny's photos on the Outdoors Fix website or on Instagram at the Outdoors Fix. And you'll also find Kenny on Instagram at kenny.d.block. Also, if you're affected by any of the issues discussed in the podcast, there's information and support on the Outdoors Fix website. I can't believe it, but we're nearing the end of the series. I just felt like it's rushed by. But I also get pretty excited about this time because I started to look out for my next interviewees to share their outdoor stories. So please feel free to send me suggestions of people who you'd like to hear interviewed on the Outdoors Fix. Perhaps it's someone whose story has inspired you to get outdoors more or someone who you enjoy following their adventures. I've had some fantastic messages about this already, so please keep the suggestions coming via Instagram. Thanks. Now time for some sounds from nature. And this week, it's the sound of birdsong and a stream near Ravoe and Bothy in the Cairngorms. <laughs>